0: No unlikely like up of, of no Does it talk? doesn't know how doesn't boggle, Does it get me out read the book. Aloha, gentlemen, the esteemed panel of Cerebrevore. This is Brian calling. Uh, I don't know if I'm the the furthest caller, because if you get Jules or someone else from out here, way, way on the other side, uh, you may get someone further. But Brian calling in from Singapore. Yeah, just wanted to call. I really appreciate your discussions. So in particular... I believe it was the end of last month, juggling a busy life in TTRPGs Uh, is pretty timely. Uh, That one is right up my alley because for many stretches of time, my interaction with RPGs boils down to reading games, uh, maybe a bit of podcasting and listening to podcasts, and then occasionally getting the online game, which is now expanded to in-person. So I do empathize with everyone else going through this. So one thing I've found that has helped, and especially this has been true in Singapore, is finding stores, groups, meetups, etc. that are open to players coming and going, whether it's for one-shots or even for, in the case I found here, a campaign. So not just in Singapore, but back in Australia, we've got a group that meets at a, a coffee slash, you know, gaming location, it's kids and adults, but it tends to be very one shot focused or campaigns where they know people will come and go just because not everyone can make it. And I'm finding this works really well, especially if it's a little bit more, I'd say low pressure. Now, again, it, these tend to be public until you start going a few times and then you can build relationships but it's kind of eased the, the, the <laughs> I guess the pressure for me, um, especially because most of the other folks there are, are similar in that they've got pretty busy lives, and it may be hard to really codify this or or replicate it, other than some some general guidelines. To be fair, in Singapore, we still kind of have four-hour sessions set up, and mostly because obviously, like with many places, you know, you make an effort to get there, you want it to you know, you want to be able to, to last and enjoy it. Uh, but one thing i found is is it would do just as well for me um, if it was a bit shorter, uh, provided you can start on time. And I say this thinking about kind of some of the, the weeknight sessions, whether they're in person or online. Again, I, I guess your results and your mileage or your uh, your your kilometers will vary. But I, I don't know, just some thoughts here. Um, as I uh, as I sit here working away in hot, humid Singapore, uh, thinking about hopefully getting back to uh, the group this weekend locally in game. Cheers, guys!
1: Hey, Brian, thank you so much for that call. Of course, I'm Jason of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Today's episode is a bonus episode. I've had strep throat. Um, I've had a. F- I'm recording this on June 17th, and I've had a fever all month since like the third and um it's been a pain in the butt they've switched my antibiotics recently so hopefully that's going to knock this thing down and get me back in action but i've been really at action podcasting we haven't been able to record very many episodes but it's great to know people are out there listening brian um brian of course now lives in australia american i, I don't know if he'd consider himself an expat his partner is an australian and they moved out there and but he's at singapore for work i believe um but yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, Minion, who was on a previous episode, lives in Japan. But you guys are definitely on the outer edges. And actually, we're planning on having Jules join us for a discussion. Um, tentatively, the subject of that discussion is alignment. So we're really looking forward to that. So yeah, we we are trying to include people from all corners of the globe in this discussion. As far as doing, you know, for pickup games and and getting people in there with our busy schedules, the idea of one-shots and doing open tables where anybody could just show up and play. I agree with that. Personally, I like the idea of having pre-gens and you have a pre-generated party and whoever shows up that day just picks one of the party members and they play them and the party members advance normally. They get experience and all normally, but you don't necessarily have to always play the same person. You know, So that way the party is going to slowly advance through the adventure, but whoever shows up that night is going to take that part of that player or that player character at that, that day of the table. And I know that ruffles against the feathers of people that like deep backstories and deep connections to their characters. But I think for a lot of us, if we just showed up, said, Hey, here, you're playing Jojo the fighter tonight and you're playing Bobby the cleric. I think most people would be okay with that and and just sit down and get into it, you know, and you have, and they can put their own little spin on the character if they want. And the key is you don't play them like a rental car where you, you you know you don't play them where you're trying to burn the character out or destroy the character but you play it trying to survive and um you know so the character's there for the next person but if they're not you can you know the GM can always make a different character between sessions as far as the length yeah definitely for online and i could see for weeknights in person too 2 to 3 hours and 2 to 3 hours doesn't sound very long but online if you're doing say theater of the mind i think you can get a whole lot done in that time frame uh, I've got a good buddy of mine who actually was one of the first people I ever played online with. This is way before COVID. This was like 2016, 2017. And, and he runs a lot of Barbarians of Lemuria. And he tends to run two-hour sessions. It's all theater of the mind. He might draw a sketch and put it up. We'll do it with a you know video and voice chat only. Rolling dice at home, paper character sheets, all that. And we get a lot done in those sessions. We really do because you're not fiddling with the VTTs, you know. And I, th- I think we get a whole lot done. That's not to say you couldn't get a lot done with the VTT too, if everybody's familiar with the VTT, but if you have people asking, where's that button and, and trying to learn the system at the VTT as you're going, I think that slows things down. But yeah, no, I think those are some great ideas, Brian. Thank you for sharing them. Anybody else, if you have thoughts, call into Cerebrovore. We love to get calls from people. We love to answer them. Because of my strep, I have been out of it. My voice is just starting to come back. So I am not part of this discussion coming up, which is fine, because I have no experience with organized play. Um, I've never done that. So it's a very interesting discussion coming up with BJ, Carl, and our friend Matt. So I'm going to let you guys listen to that conversation about organized play with D&D, and we'll talk to you next time. Take care, folks.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Cerebrovore. This is uh, BJ uh boyd of the arcane alienist podcast. Uh today we're going to talk a little bit about living campaigns organized play. Uh, I'm joined by Carl Rodriguez of the Geomologist Presents. How you doing, Carl? I'm doing great.
3: Just uh and we have yes. Well just ending our uh awesome uh Abomination Vaults Pathfinder 2 which you and our special guests participate in.
2: All right and to, we, our special guest today is 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 our buddy Matt who uh plays in Pathfinder and several other of the games that that are he's not a podcaster but he hangs out with podcasters uh to, to play Pathfinder and other role playing games um uh you might know him as at on on various discord channels how are you doing Matt
4: doing well how about
2: yourself doing good doing good so um we don't have a whole lot of structure for this discussion. We're kind of doing this on the fly, but we, we wanted to talk about uh, our experiences playing in, running, being part of organized play and how that may differ from uh, your own, your home campaigns that you do, you know, at home with your friends or online with your friends. Um, so that's where we'll get the, the ball started. Um, Matt, since you are our special guest, and also because I know you have done a lot with Living Greyhawk, which was one of the first first organized campaigns, and it was one of the, I think one of the more long lasting ones. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what was the setup for that like when you were were a part of that? Oh
4: no, yeah, yeah. So Living Greyhawk was introduced with third edition D anD D. There was there was a living campaign that was prior to that that was Living City, which was used second edition. Um, AD and D rules, mm-hmm. um, as part of the, uh, well, I guess previous, it was TSR. They had a role playing game, uh, association, RPGA that, yeah, that ran that, and then, so when third edition was announced, um, wizards of the coast had purchased D and D at that point, they were going to release the new edition of D and D and they were going to start this shared campaign. They called it Living Greyhawk. In third edition, they used Greyhawk as the, the standard default setting with all the gods and stuff. Um, it was a really interesting way they had that set up because they had used the RPGA uh, membership list to figure out how many people had registered in the different areas of the world. You know, this these states had more people and, and whatnot. And then they split up. uh, um, They kind of had a top-down structure with a circle of five or circle of six uh, people that worked for Wizards of the Coast. And then under that, there was a triad in each of these different regions. And so where I was at, um, North Carolina, there was North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. We had Grand March was was our region, Uh, Virginia, West Virginia. Maryland were the grand duchy of Jeff were all the against the giants adventures. And so each of these, you know, you'd go to the conventions and you could play these games and you started out as a first level character. Um, they did have a lot of, uh, rules to make it where, um, you know, to, to keep people from cheating, you know, kind of a thing. Um, they used a, a stat by, and then, uh, you know, you'd go to these conventions. It was, it was, it was entertaining. The, uh, um, that ran from like 2000 to 2008. Um, I think fourth edition came out or was announced around 2007, maybe. And they kind of moved on to the next one, which was living forgotten realms, but they also had living force, which was the, the star Wars one.
3: Mm-hmm. um, Oh, they had a, like a living jungle, right? Like, th- I thought they were something. Yo,
2: like they had, they had, um, I was gonna say the Texas, Oklahoma area where Carl and I would have been in, or was, uh, the Bandit Kingdoms.
4: Yeah, that was Bandit Kingdoms. Yep.
2: And, but I think with the idea, was, if I'm under- remember right, because I, I think I checked it out and never got a chance to actually go to an event and play because I, there was no game store where I lived during that period. Um, if you're playing kind of in your home game store, you're kind of a adventurer in whatever region, the Bandit Kingdoms or wherever you would be. Yeah. But if you, if you happen to go on vacation or go on a business trip or, or for some reason find yourself in another part of the country, it, it's kind of the idea that your character had traveled to that region of the flanness and
4: the, yeah, that, picked up that an is. adventure there. And, and that, that really was a big draw for people. We would, we would drive. Well, I was telling you just the other day, me and one of the other guys that plays in Carl's, uh, um, twilight 2000 campaign, we went to Alabama, um, flew over there for a convention so that we could play yeomanry modules, the, um, whatever the free, that was a very libertine libertarian, uh, region. Um, and, uh, we went over there specifically your, to play where, where, those modules.
2: Was your, was your loot given to you in cryptocurrency? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
3: They, I have a question, Matt. So, uh, you could finish your thought, but I had a question about what, something you said when you're describing the Living Greyhawk, but go ahead and finish your thought here about... The-, so the, the way that they
4: had that set up, every character, you could have multiple characters. They all started out like uh, at level one, like I was saying. They were all assigned 52 time units, and um, each adventure would take either one or two time units, maybe more if it was depending on the length of the adventure. And it was kind of like to say that you know, it's going to be like a week out of your life. Not that it was like one time unit equals one week, but you know, some might be a little bit longer, some might be a little less. So it was averaging. And then, um, if you were playing out of region, then um, you actually had to be physically there. You know, you could you couldn't play. So I never played any Bandit Kingdom Adventures. That was Texas, Texas and Oklahoma. Um, in fact, there's a on Amazon one of the triad members uh for uh bandit kingdoms wrote up a whole self-published book on the bandit kingdoms the whole living greyhawk campaign thing um but uh, um so you would you would go to these you'd go to other states to to play their games you play your own games in in this in the state that you were in um and then there were core adventurers um, that anybody could play anywhere. And those were like ones that were set in were some of the unassigned areas. But uh, um, they had split up the entire world in like different areas. Um, so it was pretty fascinating. And each, each area had three people called a triad um, that uh, kind of managed things. You had uh, meta organizations, which were like groups that your, um, your character could join. Um, Grand March was a, uh, a mandatory uh, military service, so it was a very military-oriented society with knights and stuff. Knights of the Watch um, were kind of a big part of it. Um, and so a lot of the adventures were kind of set in that um, that sort of uh, theme. Um, Grand Duchy of Jeff, they had the whole uh, story with the, the giant's head invaded, come down from the mountains and it, it conquered everything. And so, uh, um, you know, for seven years, it was, they had multiple plots that were, they, that, that were running. Um, but there was like this, the big main plot had to do with the, the the giants that had taken over the country, which was pretty fascinating. Um, and a lot of these guys still, um, uh, um, are involved with role-playing games. Um so some of the guys at Paizo, um they were involved with uh, um, with uh, uh, living Greyhawk uh, cool. Stephen Radley uh, McFarland SRM. Uh, I
3: know there's a Ben McFarland, but but so um so I guess I guess we jumped a, we jumped in edition though did BJ didn't you say you played in the organized play for fourth edition right?
2: Yeah, I think I think Living Greyhawk was third edition. Yeah, yeah. Um, three
4: and
2: three five. Three and three five. Uh, and, living Jungle that
3: I was referencing is second edition, actually. Um, yeah. Of City RPGA, I guess that's where you had the Ravens Bluff, and they made mm-hmm. books. Whatever. Yeah, was, that was a so. Forgotten I Realms. They people from cheating, Matt. Hmm? I don't. You said you said they prevented people from cheating. Was that just because they did like point buy or? I mean, well, how, they, was, how could they, someone not come in and say, well, my character got
2: a corporal sword?
3: So
4: they, they well, I guess you could never prevent things, uh, but uh, they did a point by for uh, stats for your attributes. Um, they had a, a log sheet where at the end of the adventure, which these adventures were all set um, like a standard kind of a four hour convention slot. So it'd yeah. be like a three hour adventure if it ran long, maybe like three and a half and then like half an hour wrap up. Um, the second edition, the living city, they had things set up where um, you'd had a uh, treasure where it was uh, certificates, which people called certs. They, they would like an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, like split into four strips. And then, so you have like a plus one sword or something. And it would say, this is where the adventure you know where the uh, the item came from, what adventure, and and uh, the date and the uh, dungeon master uh, signature on there and that's cool. and stuff. And you know if you traded it, you had to sign the back over to and have a, a dungeon master you know witness it sort of a thing.
2: Like, um, like a car, like like exchange, like get are handing over a car title. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Feel like honor system, though, really,
3: right? I mean, yeah. it,
2: but that's if, cool if I movie, remember. Yeah. If I remember the stuff they would give you, the official materials, it would be like your thing that required a, a DM signature and the cards that had, oh, yeah, I got this piece of treasure. They were at least on card stock, so you couldn't just swipe a book and go down to the Kinkos. And I mean, if you, well, you could, but you'd have to invest some money. You know, as far as the signatures, those probably would have been easy. But oh yeah, yeah. You, you well, could it, just put it, it on standard copy paper.
4: I mean, there, there is a lot of uh, um, honor system kind of uh, uh, involved because there's nothing to prevent somebody to, you know, make copies of this stuff and then sign, you know, somebody's name to it and say, oh, I got this when I was in San Francisco or something. And, you know, like anybody's going to be able, I mean, there was RPGA had RPGA uh, uh, membership numbers. And so they could have, you know, the. They'd have the uh, uh, name of the you know signature of the DM and their name and their and their number. So I guess there were some people that were banned, you know. But
3: oh, so there were, so um, were any instances where you kind of knew that there is a someone with some contraband. I guess.
4: <laughs> um, we had a guy that was in North Carolina that ended up. Um, they had sent their adventures off to the. Um, Wizards of the Coast to get reviewed and approved and they ended up uh, um, not getting approval in time and the convention was coming up and they ended up running them and then that was a big scandal Uh, the guy got kicked out of the RPGA for banned for a year or two or something that was like a big deal but but then that ended up Kind of going away, the second edition, the Living City campaign, they had these certificates and um, it ended up getting a little bit goofy because you would end up having these tables at conventions where because there wasn't enough tables um, to kind of like set up where you had like a high level table, high level characters and a low level, uh, you'd have a mixture of, of high and low low level characters at the same table. And then you'd have these high level, these, these people that had played a lot. And they'd have just like a three ring binder full of these certificates of, you know, magic items and whatnot. And they'd be like, oh, oh, I've got some extra magic items. You know, I see that you just started playing. You know, here have a bunch of plus three swords and, you know, whatnot. It's like first level characters that were like, oh, well, will It's
2: very Monty Hall, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Or be be like in World of Warcraft where you've got somebody who's got a high level character and they just follow the new guild member around and help them survive all their encounters to build up their XP. Yeah,
4: in the, um, I mean, in MMO, uh, a lot of them use the whole bind on pickup, so you can't trade stuff. Um, yep. And that wasn't the case with Living City, um, to my knowledge. I didn't really play Living City all that much because I had gotten more into that in when Third Edition was in full swing. Living City lasted a little bit, like a few years so many the people had invested so much time in it that they didn't want the campaign to end. So they kept on running it. Second edition D and D. Um, and then, you know, third edition D and D had started, I think around 2000.
3: Did the third edition D and D did the organized play bleed into the fourth edition timeframe too. I guess it would have, right? I
4: mean, um, a little stopped. bit, I think there were some other campaigns that ran in there. Like I was saying, living force was the star Wars, the, the, um, Star Wars D twenty. Um, there was a Living Death one, which was the.
3: Mask of the Red Death?
4: Yes, it was the
2: Mask
3: of the
4: uh, yes, uh,
2: Ravenloft. Yeah. The mask,
3: the, yeah. The mask I
4: never played. The living
2: Death was Ma- yeah. Mask of the Red Death second edition. It started in second edition, but they carried it over in third edition. Oh,
4: yeah. uh, All so I know is that I- was the. That was uh, the. Oh, yeah.
3: Do you run um, um, campaigns in parallel or play campaigns in parallel?
4: Oh yeah, I I did. I um, there was a Living Calamar, which was Kinzer Company. They had they had a campaign, uh, Living Dragon Star, Dragon Star role playing game, which oh, was right, kind of right. like kind of like Starfinder. You and I have okay. talked about that um uh, in the past.
2: Um, there was a there was a living spycraft i'm looking at a list online okay. living spycraft from 2002 to 2007 that was
4: that whole decade was was kind of uh, uh i don't know what's the right word heady i guess that with the open gaming license you just had everybody came out with you know their ogl
0: mm-hmm.
4: you know third party stuff so there was a uh uh the Codex of Erd, the, um, the ERDE, they had a campaign.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Arcanus had a campaign.
3: Jeez. <laughs> yeah, and then I guess it all got scrunched down in 4th edition, right? Those encounters, was is that, is that right?
2: Well, they they started off 4th edition with living forgotten Realms, so they basically took the living Greyhawk model and just ported it over for 4th edition and ended it in Forgotten Realms.
3: But no more yeah.
2: OGL, so... Yeah, and I pl- I played in a few of those. Um, when 4th Edition had first come out, and it was very similar to... You had a a, a new registered number with, with Wizards. That was your player number, and then it was on your character sheet, and, and the you'd get a kind of... You had a, a ledger that the, the DMs would sign when you went through an adventure. But they were very short. Like, you could do three of them in at a, at a typical... Uh, yeah, they're more like encounters, right? I, yeah, they they, they they were they were they were kind of one-hour adventures. Yeah, um and you could do multiples. Yeah, because when I would I do it, I would have to drive like an hour and a half to get to the place where they were doing them. So I would do like three of them. I'd be st- stay in the game shop all evening and and, and do three of them. Um, and same thing, if you picked up any significant loot, they would you would get a card that showed that you had gotten this magic item or or the uh, if I'm remembering correctly. But, um, I, I remember as a player, it was probably it, it, was, it was one of those head scratchers because they 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 had these very this very formulaic way of doing. It. They always included a a fourth edition style, style style skill challenge. Right. And if anybody who 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 lived through fourth edition goes knows that I don't even know that the game designers understood how to do a skill challenge because every DM who is supposedly met like before the night and looked at all the campaigns and, and played, played each other, ran each other through. At the same event, none of the DMs would run the skill challenge the same. The way it's described to do it in the player's handbook is different than the way the DMG describes it and is very different than what Wizards design team would tell you on, on social media when you'd go, hey, how is this supposed to work? So, but that was really funny because I can remember doing three skill challenges over the course of three hours and each one of them might even know I was doing a skill challenge because um, the, the just didn't make like and the DM, some of the DMs are having to like telegraph, I need you to pick a skill and tell me how you're going to use it. Right. Which, you know, skill challenge is supposed to be announced. This is a skill challenge. Here are the relevant skills. You know, the people who are Beth, you know, and, but that, anyway. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I, th- really- I think it was, it didn't last through the entirety of fourth edition. I think it was probably the first half. Of- I'm sorry, Carl, go ahead.
3: No, I was going to explain, like, uh- like I never got into like, because we're contrasting this to like our own campaigns. I never got into you know, living Greyhawk, living Forgotten Realms in second or third edition. I just ran my own things in the Forgotten Realms, and I maybe because I never went to conventions or were But you didn't have to go to convention to you could have done it anywhere. And I guess I never, maybe I wasn't as involved at my at Dragon's Lair back then. Um, but then it wasn't until fourth edition where you know I, I, before I was an employee there during graduate school I would you know I would still go to Dragon's Lair and they'd have these organized play things and and not just for D&D but I I think that my first experience with organized play was Shadowrun missions right so you'd run like a a, a series of, of Shadowrun missions that were intended to be like a you know 2 to 3 hour kind of time time block and and run these missions and in sequential order and then that's when the fourth edition came out and I remember actually like like a, a you had to use a DC wizard wizards had you use as a DCI number which is the same number you'd use for like magic right and you, yeah yeah so but then you could sign up for DCI as a GM or as a player and you know mm-hmm. and that led to some weird things where you could you could uh I mean if you're a player and then run the game that's cool but sometimes you'd GM the game and then run it. And some people did that, which I, you know, I kind of, didn't sit well with me. But that was like my my fourth edition era experience. So unlike Matt, I just I kind of got into the organized play thing, um, relatively recently when it kind of became a bit more. Because it seems like Living Greyhawk, while there was some formality, it seems very it gives gave you a lot of flexibility, um, which is kind of cool. Almost almost like it was closer to, a, a campaign that you ran on your own, right? Um, I don't know. Is that is that accurate, Matt?
4: Well, they had they had adventures. So each region had the ability to, um, you know, uh, release something like a dozen adventures per year, and they all had to go through a review process and play testing and that sort of stuff. But it was the region that, well, largely the Triad. They they came up with sort of the the plot of this is what um, you know what the main story and sort of like, you know, some adventures might not have anything to do with that story, but it did allow a very focused, um, fleshing out of a region. Um, you know, the creative juices of let's, okay, we're going to have this region and this is the, this is the background, you know, what little is written of in the different, you know, world of Greyhawk and in different Greyhawk books. And then, um you know um cannon fire and living greyhawk gazette here these different different uh, uh sources of information and then you know you could just kind of whole hog it's like let's populate this area with towns and personalities and npcs come up with the, the you know these these stories and uh, um they have these meta organizations like i was saying which was the the different groups um So like if you were, oh, in the, um, you know, kind of, uh, we were doing the uh, Temple of Elemental Evil stuff. Well, it's like there's a group up in that area, and I forget if it's Valuna or Verba Bonk, but it's the the Gnarly Rangers, Rangers of the Gnarly Forest. And that was a organization that if you met these prerequisites, you could say, oh, I'm going to join this group. And there was be, you know, um, well, we were usually mainly using uh, Yahoo groups. Uh, to do a lot of that coordination sort of stuff, um, and oh, so there yeah, would be did. some role playing stuff on there, and and there'd be like some sort of benefit, maybe um, nothing too, you know, powerful. But and then you know there was certain organizations where it's like, oh well, if you want to belong to this organization, then you're going to have to spend so many time units of your character doing that, and that would reduce the, the, the reduce the total number of time units of the fifty two. Per year, Um, you know, so most people had multiple characters, especially if you were, you know, going to all these different gaming conventions or or playing in the game stores. I mean, you could even run the modules in, you know, in a home group. Um, You'd have to, you know, set up a game day kind of a thing, register the games on the on the RPGA website, um, you know, so that it was legit. You know, sanctioned event or whatever they called it.
2: Yeah, I feel I feel like when they finally abandoned the living, forgotten realms, uh, when they, and they replaced it with encounters, they really went much more to a, hey, just let the game store host the event and get people to play, and it's not going to be a. They put it. They put it on the retailer to kind of incentivize and organize stuff however they saw fit, and there was no.
3: Yeah, there's no continuous story, really. I mean, yeah. So, I, um, I mean, there's sure there's shared adventures, but there's no like, like what, what Matt said is kind of in a way like what we talked about having a shared universe that these yeah. people came up so with. You, with so you would, universe, and there's like a meta plot uh, that, and, and all these people that that's kind of the way I felt like missions was because when you fill out the form for missions, then you say what happened. And then at the end of the season, uh, it would they would go, okay, this is generally happened, uh, you know, in all these, you know, 55% of the group did this or that, and then that's how they would construct then the next season based on, on that. Right. So yeah. I thought it was kind of, yeah. yeah.
4: Yeah. They would do, uh, yeah. they typically the way that I saw it was the premiere event. And usually the, uh, for living Greyhawk, these adventures were would premiere at a gaming convention, uh, yep. in that, in that particular area. And um, they would take the results. So at the end of the game, the DM would have like the last page of the PDF. Well, you print it out. And there'd be like a page there that said, you know, return this information to the the triad for the region. And it would say, did the adventurers succeed in this? Did this character die or whatever? And then they would tally up and say, okay, 55% of the tables killed the bad guy or whatever. And therefore yeah. that would inform future adventures, um, you know, provided that they weren't just pulling the wool over her eyes and just saying, yeah, this guy's going to escape or something. I guess that's always a possibility, but, uh, um, yeah. but otherwise, you know, it, 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 it did have the shared campaign thing where you had multiple tables running the same adventure, um, did pose the problem of sort of a, well, you would have to have a certain amount of, a um, just getting past the fact that it's like well, at our table this happened, but the way that the you know the you know, majority of tables went, something else happened, so right I just had right. to you know disbelieve that
2: so car- Carl, you said that you had gotten into organized play when you were working in grad school and you were working in a in a game store, yeah, and that was that was was that living greyhawk or was that by the time they had switched over to encounters? No, that was Encounters, you know. Okay, did you did you run Encounters, encounters or said, just said, play in them or? Go ahead, sorry. I ran,
3: I ran Encounters and played in them. Um, you know, I usually play in them through, you know, and then run them myself, you know, and learning how to do that. Or or the yeah. other way around, you know, run them for some players and then they in turn would. But we never had the I – mean, we there were people who were notorious for, you know, GMing and then running and trying to get their – and DCI points or whatever you'd get, but yeah. I wanted to amend that. What I said about missions, it, it is much like Matt said: is you know you'd have. I think they came out like monthly or or every other month, and you'd have to report it, and then that would be would inform the next turn. Which I thought is really cool. Yeah. You know, it's kind of it, mm. it, it is it embodies that sort of living idea, and I, I yeah. I feel like they went away from that in fourth edition. I could be wrong, but.
2: Yeah, well, with Encounter, well, originally they did. I I don't know if they they shaped future adventures based on feedback from the existing Living 4th Edition, but by Encounters, it was just sort of, here's a very short campaign that's meant to last, what, six to eight sessions? And uh, hour-long sessions, pick a night, every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, you know, every... I think initially they wanted everybody to do it on Wednesday night, and then they started, it was more like, hey, as long as you're do it whenever you want. We're not going to check on you and make sure that you actually did it on Wednesday night. Um I think the main thing they were just trying to encourage retailers is not to have it compete against Friday Night Magic. Uh right, but, but that they were just
3: if yeah. they send in all the reports of all the games, I remember having you do that, right? So
2: yeah. So you would get your you would get your credits as a, as a as a with your DCI number playing, but as far as how long the session took and how many people played and that was kind of between the store owner and the whoever they got to, to d m the game uh, I remember there were d m rewards for that like we we'd get we get special yeah. you know extra materials tokens and, and the store would get rewards too like yeah it, and the store it, it would, bump, would, it wouldn't they wouldn't
3: bump their you know premier store status stuff like magic did, but the store would get special promos here and there
2: yeah yeah i I didn't know so much about the retailer because I just had a friend who ran a comic book and game store and. I was like, "I'll do, uh, yeah, I'll do it." He said, "He said, I need somebody to DM this. Okay, I'll do it." Um, yeah, I, I had a lot like of time, about, it, so. huh?
3: I was like the events coordinator, you know.
2: Yeah, we did good. We got the table got so big, somebody else had to become a DM mm-hmm. uh, there for about for about six or, six to eight months. We had like twenty five people. You know, we would both run yeah. two sessions of the. And it, it was kind of rocking and rolling. So, I, you know, fourth edition didn't overall do well, but in the little corner we were in there for about a year, we did some, people were having a good time and it helped build a community. And I made new friends that I then invited to my home campaign when we had openings. Um, but I know that additionally, the encounters were sort of set in the generic fourth edition setting, but they had a lot of Greyhawk lore. They they never really said this is, this is Greyhawk but they had one based on like the lost tower of inverness and they had one that was based on you know lost magic that was developed by everard um yeah. and then then towards the end they shifted more to to neverwinter being the setting and having it be in a, a forgotten realms based thing so um yeah with that one is pretty easy what no go ahead yeah i ran the neverwinter one i, I didn't run the the book cuz they had a, that was probably the first time they published they they gave you a Neverwinter Encounters adventure and they co-published a Neverwinter source book where you could have your own adventure. Um, which is kind of what we got later at fifth edition as well, where there's, you know, they've got the same theme going on in two different campaigns to, to choose from. But, um, yeah, I had a good time running. I felt like, you know, they were short, easy to run adventures and you got them a couple of weeks before you were supposed to start running them and had time to prep and, um, there wasn't too much paperwork on my end as the DM, but I don't know what the store owner had to do when I left for store the night. Owner didn't do it; they'd give it to one of the employees. Well, <laughs> but, where I was at, the store owner was. It was like him and, and, and we had, he had him and his wife, and they had one guy they paid. <laughs>
3: yeah, I mean, I remember running encounters with for Eberron, too, though. So like, there was some organized. Yeah, play.
2: yeah, they did do some Eberron Well, once they did released, you, and I, they did some Dark Sun too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for each book that they, because I mean really like fourth edition did like one
3: GM's book, one player's book for a whole host of settings. Right. So yeah. Did you experience any encounters Matt or were you kind of.
4: No, I, I just got really busy with work around the time that living Greyhawk had ended living Greyhawk had been um, well, they had announced fourth edition D and D and then by the end of that year, they had uh Announced that Living Greyhawk was was going away. Um, it was one of the sad things because, you know, Wizards of the Coast, I understand, it's a business, but they were always kind of pushing, you know, the new product and, and uh, um, you know, they wanted you to buy it. And it was, I don't know, in, in my corner of the world, and I know that's just one perspective, but 4th Edition didn't really go over too well because nobody thought that the game was broken or needing. I mean, well, 3.5 eventually got kind of long in the tooth with all the books and stuff. But, you know, for the people that have been playing it for seven years, they, nobody had wanted a new game. It. And so they didn't really. And then they said, Oh yeah. And living Greyhawks can end, which kind of real you know, put a damper on things. But there was a big difference between fourth edition, um, and, uh, or living, uh, forgotten realms, which I think is what the initial one was called. um, when that was announced because I think it was much more centralized. They didn't have the regions like what Living Greyhawk. I mean, it was a very yeah. unique system, the way that they just kind of split, you know, Texas and Oklahoma's Bandit Kingdoms, um, you know, all these different Nyron was um California, I think.
3: That's so cool. I mean, um, yeah, they have not done that. I mean like I it not- was
4: it was a very unique time. You know, you're talking about, it was the year 2000. You had a lot of people that had played d back in those early years, you know, in the 70s and 80s. And, um, you know, um, there are a lot of people like my age that, you know, they cut their teeth in the, the early years. And then, you know, they were out of college and they were, um, you know, making a bunch of money and. And had the ability to go to conventions and and whatnot, you know, the career kind of a thing. <laughs> Buy all those flat books. Yeah, yeah.
3: I mean, I, I hey, go ahead, BJ. You
2: know, I was going to round out the. I had a thing to round out the encounters, but I want to see what you to say about it.
3: No, no, because well, I was going to segue into the next kind of,
2: okay, facet of
3: organized play. So it, it
2: came up, yeah. So towards the very end of fourth edition, they did a second organized play called Lair Assault. And that was supposed to be tournament style. Make your, op- get, get a team, make your optimized character, see how far you can get into the dungeon whereby I die. And I never ran any of those. I remember I got the first packet and then I got busy and wasn't able to, to run it. But I thought, here's an example of, and maybe, maybe, maybe this is where a lot, why they had so many problems with fourth edition about sort of sometimes like The left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing. They had just published the Neverwinter campaign setting and given you a resource for Neverwinter as a sandbox and said and and, and gave you some figures. That you could you could decide as a DM is this a hero, a villain, a neutral party, is this a benefactor or potential ally? You decide as the DM. This is your lore now, but then they published a lair assault where one of those figures was the villain. And I know, I know, I know it, you can just say, you know what? He's not a bad guy in my campaign, but it's kind of like, but I want them to figure out if he's a bad guy in my campaign. And if you've just labeled him bad, like I, you can never put a wizard in front of a group of seasoned D and D players, whose name is Vecna and then go, Oh, maybe he's not really a, you know, a, a super a villain.
3: Unless you're a character in stranger things.
2: But that's Right. One. Right. That's another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, there are those classic D and D, you know, right. Did you hear about the, the the new the new church of um, Takesis? You know, you're, you she sounds good to me. If you're in Kryn, you know, no, no, so you can't do that if the spoilers yeah. are out. So, but I never ran that. But I know they tried to bring that back, and then I, I don't know if that wasn't popular. If it was, just, that was the end of fourth edition and just died died on the vine with the rest of the edition. But that was, I just didn't want to note that was one other kind of organized play they tried co- alongside encounters at the end of fourth edition, more of the tournament style. See how long you can last in the in the dungeon of death.
3: Yeah, and I think what picked up that slack was uh, Pizo with Pathfinder, right? And they Pathfinder yeah. had a pretty strong organized play that's still going strong in Pathfinder two, and of course they have the branch branch out with Starfinder organized play. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, those those are kind of I mean it, again it doesn't seem like it's it's as unique as 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 Living Greyhawk was. But you know, it's a it's a it's a model where you know, much like without the the kind of there's a meta plot, and you can take your character anywhere to whatever organ you know whatever convention or or online and and actually I think what was cool is towards the I mean at least somewhere in that organized play one of the seasons they decided well let's just let them play whatever they want and you could actually you could actually uh, um, report your, like, adventure path games. So, you know, you would get, I mean, I don't know, you wouldn't necessarily get, like, I don't know what kind of credit you'd really get, but, you know, mm-hmm. just wanted those reported and wanted to kind of get, to see what people were playing, what was going on. Yeah.
2: Um, I think Adventurers League has kind of picked up on some of those ideas. Yeah. Um, I, th- I, think, I think Wizards of the Coast, Learned a lot about the things they done they did wrong by seeing what Paizo did successfully.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah, and and both the both of those Adventure League and and Pathfinder Society are going strong, and there's all there's like yeah. a meta plot, there's factions. I think faction play is something that's fascinating to me. Yeah. and I but uh, no, they really didn't have that in missions, but I, from what I remember, but they definitely had that. They have that strong faction component in in. Pathfinder Society, where like you get not only do you have the main mission, but then you have like a side mission based on your faction, which I think is pretty fascinating. I think, and eventually does that, does that too, right? With, um,
2: well, Adventure yeah. League, you can, they have the official Adventures League series of adventures for a season, but, but it also, you can just use whatever hardback, you know, like, like the big first one was Tyranny of Dragons, where you could play Horde of the Dragon Creek Queen and, and Rise of Tiamat, or you could play their one set in the moon sea region. Um right. and, and and you don't have to play you you can go back like 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 even now we're I'm I can't remember how many years we we're into we in when the seventh year of fifth edition. Um you could go back and play the first one as an as an organized adventures league at your local stop, store with your local group and it still counts as an adventures league adventure. You don't have to play the one that they've just published and that's kinda out right now. Yeah. Um Matt, did you ever get involved with any of the Paizo organized play? Uh, a little
4: bit. Um, I remember um, it's not nearly as much as I did with Living Greyhawk. Like I was saying, around the end of um, like two thousand into 2008, 2009 or so, I just got so busy that that I kind of just started doing home campaign stuff. Um but uh, um, they did, did
2: you run games for for when you were doing Living Greyhawk? Uh,
4: very rarely. I actually had a kind of a sad story about that. I was at a gaming convention um, in the uh, Raleigh area, uh, North Carolina, and I had a, an open slot. There wasn't anything that I was doing, and this guy, one of the organizers, came up to me and said, "Oh, you know, hey, um, we had a, a no-show." there's no dm for this game would you mind running it and i was like oh wow you know it's like let me uh do you have a, a copy of the adventure you know it's all printed out i have by 11 paper and so i'm reading this thing unbeknownst to me my wife had gotten uh won a raffle uh for uh a uh, a seat at a table that dave arneson was running <laughs> and so i ended up missing my chance to to uh oh. play a game with Dave Arneson.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Did your wife go to play in the game with Dave Arneson? No, no, but, um...
0: But are you
2: guys, are. um... You guys ever look, have seen any of, uh... Jim Davis, who does a YouTube channel... He calls himself the Game Methuselah. He he was there on the ground. He was a college student when D&D came out, and he's been... But he has a fun story about him and his friend just completely ruining one of Dave Arneson's first convention games by, by betraying the party. Place. I don't know. Sometimes I think people
3: have no sense of that. I, I mean, I, I, uh, when I went to the North Texas RPG Con, I played in a game run by Zeb Cook, and I feel like people didn't under know who this person was, even though everyone was going up to him and having him sign their books, you know, second edition yeah, book. Yeah. Like I had him sign my my uh, my old OA book, and and uh and then they were still like, you know, asses at the table. You know, no sense of. Yeah. Actor, for no, no respect from. for for
2: the elders. Yeah, Millennials so Matt, are. I guess yeah. <laughs> Matt, I, the reason I asked that I was, I was wondering what kind. Of, did they provide any kind of perks or, or rewards to the DMs during Living Greyhawk?
4: I think they may have. Um, I know they got uh, especially once Pathfinder Society um, they started to do things like where. DMs could play an adventure that they would run or because you in living Greyhawk, if you ran an adventure, then you couldn't play it. And so they, they, they talked about eating the adventure. It was like, you know, if you're going to run it without playing it, then you, you know, you couldn't get credit. You know, you could, you could play it and then run it, which is typically a, well, a bunch of us would end up getting roped into, um, uh, uh doing the play test because you'd have, you know, some local person who wrote an adventure, um, you know, in, you know, collaborating with the triad, the triad would say, yeah, that's a good idea. You know, write something up, you know, what we kind of a synopsis of, you know, where you want this, what, you know, what your plot is and, and, you know, we can tentatively approve it. And then they would, do the play tests, and they would send the stuff, and it would be edited, and then it would eventually go up to the.
2: Uh,
4: sounds Wizards like the with
2: yeah, it sounds like with Living Greyhawk, it was much more of a big community. You, you could get involved, and there was give and take. And I think when I oh, experienced yeah. Living Forgotten Realms, it was just more here are the pre published adventures, and I remember the DMs who were running them at the table. I, I remember them talking about they'd all gotten together a couple of nights before and played through them as players with one, with one person running. Up. And then that kind of prepped them to to play. Mm-hmm. By the time it got to encounters, it was just like, here's your packet, do whatever you're going to, you know, good luck, have fun. We're not going to tell yeah. you how to do it.
4: But th- there um, was a, there was a whole lot of buy-in. Um, mm-hmm. when uh, um, when third edition was, had been announced back in the late nineties, um, well, there's that website, the uh, EN World, which was yep. the guy talking. Yep. It's like Eric Norris. I forget what the it, EN stands for the, uh, the the initials of the guy yeah. that originally ran it. And then he ended up turning it over to somebody else, as I recall. But, Russell um,
2: Oh,
4: okay. And uh, they were oh, just going it. on and on about the third edition. And so these people, the, 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 the history of Living Greyhawk, they had actually had started – a couple of years before or like a, at least a year before third edition had come out where they had said, okay, we're going to do this campaign. And everybody's like super hyped. Oh, it's great Hawk. It's, you know, all these classic adventures, you know, the, um, you know, uh, um, against the giants and, and,
2: uh, most importantly, the temple of elemental, temple of
4: elemental evil. Of elemental evil. Um though Temple of Elemental Evil and Um Greyhawk City and um, some of those areas they were hands off. There was yeah. no there was no region. Uh, they were they were core adventures where they would they would come directly out of the the circle of six. Um
2: yeah the um, um I have and speaking of rewards, I mean I still have them on my shelf over here, you know, tokens and maps and stuff I got it for, for running it. Encounters. Yeah, but you would. We're kind, of, we're kind of getting close to the end of our time. Um, how much experience do you guys have with Adventures League? That's kind of the new 5th edition. They did encounters for a brief period in early 5th edition, but then they switched to Adventures League, very, I think, fairly early on.
3: Yeah, I think what's cool about Adventures League, um, and, and you know, this kind of in a way, I know we've been talking mostly about organized play, but it, what I think is cool about Adventures League is that, you know, you play... You can play, like, side adventures, but you could also play the, the core adventure path, right? So, so mm-hmm. a lot of people no, might not necessarily play Adventures League, and they run, you know, Ghost of Saltmarsh, right? But you could run Ghost of Saltmarsh through Adventures League or whatever, you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, like, so um, I, I, think that, I think that's pretty cool is that you can, in a way, it's, in a way it's kind of merge both your home campaign... And you're, and you're, you know, if you want to experience the, the organized play, you could play a campaign. If you want to, you know, play you're a campaign,
2: you kind of, I don't know if it's it. going to be garbled on the recording, but it kind of garbled there on my end. I don't know. So, oh, really? But you're, yeah. But like, you were saying you can, you can play Adventurers League with the published. Kind of hardback modules they market to everybody, or you could play the ones that are specifically developed for Adventurers League. Right. I know when I've gone in and played a few times, they've always been running the whatever the hardback is that's kind of freshly out. Um, but uh, I, I know some of the things with the Yeah, groups.
3: That, I know that groups that run that at least at at Dragons Lair, uh, groups that run mm-hmm. that they get like advanced copy and they they run through it you know beforehand. Yeah. So, which I, so then yeah. you know kind of a preview what's coming out. So. Uh, that's one of the perks yeah.
2: of what we're talking about but yeah, I, that, yeah. you're I, one the, sorry about that I, I think i cut you off what we'll we we
3: keep interrupting each other today, bj even in, the, in I, know, the I, know.
2: <laughs> I think there's a little lag between our, our feeds maybe um i know when i played into i haven't done a lot of adventures league when i've gone and played i've enjoyed it um, it's usually it's usually with some new nov, nov novice players where the some have never played and some have only been playing for a little while. Uh, tend to be younger players a lot of times, you know, teenagers, college students, um, which I don't mind playing with younger people. It, it doesn't bother me, but um, but I I I, uh, I know some of the more controversial rules have been you can only use one one supplemental book and the player's handbook to build your characters which creates some a barrier to some of the more interesting character builds for example like uh the uh, the Janassi is in one not in the player's handbook um it's, it's in the supplement but then the uh these a lot of the elemental theme subclasses that you would want to pair with the Genasi character also aren't in the player's handbook so you can't and they're not in the same book because they publish the the class subclasses in different books and they do supplemental character races and ancestry. So <laughs> you can't mix. I, I think they're starting to lax up on that. I don't know. I haven't checked in a while. But um, the, the other thing I, I've noticed is I feel like having run several of the hardback adventures is they 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 write them with an idea that you can run them as an adventurers league. And so it's when you're playing with a home game, you've got kind of a loosey goosey plot. Yeah. And, and people who are one day it was going to be the same group of us as we're going to buckle down and we're going to play this for the next nine to 12 months the plot holes become a lot more apparent because you know when it's a different slightly different group every week you can go now here's what happened last time and that may not be what happened last time you can kind of right. edit edit it to set up the next scenario um but people are like hey no that didn't happen last time or well no we did this now what do we you know, it's a lot easier for them to kind of get out in left field and get off uh, and I, they've tried yeah. less and less to make them railroads. I mean, that first tyranny of dragons was a, was a railroad, yeah. but it was meant to demo the adventure, the, the, the system. So a lot yeah, of the introduction.
4: That can be a problem with uh shared campaigns just in general is that you need to have um, kind of stopping points where like if for a lot of the ones that pretty much, well, most every single one, that uh, for Living Greyhawk, it was either a four hour, well, a four hour block or an eight hour, uh, eight hour. Um, there were some introductory adventures where kind of like what you were saying about the encounters thing, where it'd be like four or th- three or four, like little miniature adventures where it was like,
2: mm-hmm.
4: you know, just like an encounter and, you know, uh, stuff. But, um, when you have, um, uh, when you have a like a longer adventure that is ported over into that format, and there is no real—I mean, there there's a whole document I've got it somewhere on my computer. It was writing adventures for Living Greyhawk, and it was like this is sort of how it's supposed to be set up with the time limits, and, yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, um, the uh, treasure. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
4: You know, you didn't want to have the treasure where it was like ninety percent of the treasure was all in one item. Because then at the end of the adventure, when it was like, well, who's going to get this item? Now, they did change things eventually to where, how they distributed loot, but they got really, you know.
2: They started doing parcels where it's like, okay, here's the parcel. Who gets this one? Who gets this one? And if there's a magic item in it, you got less gold, right?
4: At At the end, well, about halfway through Living Greyhawk, they ended up getting rid of the certificates. And then they just started to have it where at the end of the adventure... There was what well, you had a sheet that was called an adventure record an AR and it had the name of the adventure and the region and the date and the, yes. who ran it and signatures and all that. And it had a little blurb and then it said, you have access to these items and you had access for like the next three adventures or something. And as long as you had the gold, you could sort of, you got, you got gold and then you got access to the items. So you yeah. could have like a magic sword or something, and it was like you know maybe everybody at the table ended up getting that magic sword because they ended up having the gold and they wanted it um yeah. because early on it was the certificates, and that um then there's conventions where it's like you know I remember one time where this there was like this dickering back and forth about no well you know ire that item's perfect for my character, and this guy's like, well. You know, that's something that I would like to have. And then it kind of just yeah. like ground to a halt. And it was like, hey, guys, <laughs> the next game is, is starting up. You know, you guys got to. And it's like guys throwing down their, you know, stuff and fine. Go and take it. You know, I don't give a. Yeah. <laughs> and starting yeah, off kind of thing. You know, people will almost so- come into blows.
2: <laughs> So it sounds like we—I mean, just just to kind of recap—where we started off talking about Living Greyhawk, and, and even before that, there was stuff the RPGA did, where it was this very wide give and take, you know, massive event between fans and players and local organizers and retailers and convention coordinators and the RPGA and TSR, kind of all working together in different capacities, and it's that's kind of shrunk down now to where they've gone through several iterations where it basically wizards of the coast just publishes some adventures and says, you can use this for adventures league. Here's the guidelines, you know, and it's still, they still kind of control it and, and license it and stuff, but it's much more, it seems like it's much they've tried to make it easier for everybody to get involved. But the, I, th- I think to me, it sounds like there's so it would still be something to be appealing to go back to the idea of there's like a couple thousand people across the country all contributing to how how this thing is going and we're all part of it together um, and it, but I don't know if that would be feasible anymore
3: I don't know I mean I don't know what the process is but it seems like the creativeness is in the hands of especially with like with wizards and running the published adventures right through adventures through an adventures league format yeah. like it, the creative creativeness is in like a smaller group of people I don't know how how Paizo does it or if they you know if these guys ever have I mean, I know, like, I've seen Chaosium have contests, right, before, but, you know, or yeah. occasionally Paizo will have a contest, and then that person will you know, write something for them. But, uh, but generally speaking, it doesn't seem like, like that spontaneous. It seems like what Matt was talking about. Sometimes there's this just, like, one of the players spontaneously came up with an idea, and then he'd run it through the the group in charge of the region, um, you know, and then... Mm-hmm. it. Something cool would happen, right? But, but now it's like it's so it's very organized from the top, and I don't know how much filters out. I could we could all be wrong about this, but we're, I guess I don't I'm not as involved in organized play as I was when I was, you know, working at a dragon's lair. But, um, you know.
2: yeah. I can't remember if if Liren from from uh, updates from the middle of nowhere. I can't remember if she had said on one of her things that she had done a lot more adventurers league play. I I may be misremembering that. Um she, we we could use I don't know if she's following Cerebrore, but maybe she'd give us a call if she if she hears this. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I can't remember if, it, if I know she's mentioned yeah. it, but I can't remember if she was me and she had done a lot of it or like she had tried it times.
3: Yeah, I know Jules runs a lot of public events in different regions. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she's know she's run a lot of published adventures, but I don't know if she does it through like the Adventures League or organized play format. And of course she runs her own stuff too, so Yeah. Cool to hear from
2: her as well. But and you guys th- th- those are a couple of podcasts of kind of the, the anger community that's that's Jules from NZ uh who she's all the way from New Zealand and then Lerin who does updates from the middle of nowhere all the way from, from Virginia. Yeah. Um so we we've been going on for a little less than an hour we're we'll probably need to wrap it up. Any yeah. any uh Matt any final comments, any final thoughts?
3: Not really.
2: Yep. okay carl carl you got anything you want to
3: go out no, on? I, I mean i guess i'm i haven't been as much into organized play recently and um i i would might i mean i was talking to dragons there the other day and they're like oh we really would like someone to come in and kind of reboot our their paizo organized play so starfinder or or pf2 and um, of course, as you know, with any edition change, there's a lot of people who you know shake their fists at the at the change. So I think it's probably suffered a little for Pizo, but um, yeah. But I, I mean, I might get back into it, and then I'd, I'll let you guys know. But uh, I, my experience with Adventures League, I mean, I don't play as much, much 5e really. So um, it's been it's been far and few between, and I'd rather I'd rather much run like a full adventure than these short, short, you know. Not really, you know, very, very. I would say very railroady because I guess they're convention style or organized play style type adventures. So,
2: yeah, Um I never can't like I, I I I can't. I'm just not constitutionally predisposed to run a written module as it's written. Try it; it doesn't work for me, and it works better when I just kind of take the pieces I want. I can generally follow the concept and the plot, but but I, I like. I like it when players go off script and I can feel free to just follow them where they're going, but I also like it when I can go off script because I think of a cool idea that I want. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a very good, I mean, if you don't, if you're not part of a gaming group, you need to meet people. That's a very good way to meet people and learn the game and then make maybe some friends and and contacts that you're like, hey guys, why don't we get together, you know, on the weekend and and I'll run run one of the pre-written scenarios we haven't ever been through or I'll make something up. And so, if you're if you're new to to d and d organized play is a really good way to get into it. If you don't have friends that can kind of bring you in with, with an existing group, um, and yeah. I think it's always if you've never DM'd, it's always useful to play a little bit before you DM if possible. And that may be one way to get some experience as a player before you decide. Okay, now I'll I'll serve as the DM for for my friends. Yeah, and I think
3: that's that's the intention. The intention was initially sure. to put these organized plays is to, or the newer ones, right? Um, is is to be more of a gateway to starting your own group, but I I I feel you know when I go into Dragon's Lair on a on a Wednesday or on a Saturday I see the same people and that's their game right that's they rarely play outside of that and that's okay too you know just you know what do people want you know they maybe they just want that sort of it's it's meant, meant to be
2: Ed, 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 Eddie Munson standing by the gate at the park going hey kid hey kid you want a D twenty? First one's free.
4: Uh, Yeah, definitely. uh, The the RPGA, at least in the like that era, was kind of recruitment. I think way, way going back to the early '80s, late '70s. I think it was actually there were they made a. I think TSR made a bunch of money doing the convention um, sort of games. But um,
2: that that would be another good panel topic to, to talk about. Uh, yeah. On another episode, is, is convention oh, congratulations. convention congratulations. play, convention experience? I've ever actually gone to a con, what? Um, so. But we're getting you to North
3: Texas next year.
2: Yeah, I will be. I will be at. There's one going on in Norman, forty miles from me next week. But I've got to be at a professional conference the same days for for my job. So, and there's no getting out of it because I'm one of the convention coordinators. Cool.
4: <laughs> but um, but that's actually. Um, I had moved to North Carolina in 1999. I was without a um, and D home group, and I went to that first convention, um, somewhat because you know third edition was new, and they and they had a couple of the people that had written that had worked on the rules that were going to be there talking. But it was a big part of it was to find a group. You know, back then it was still. Three by five cards on a bulletin board at the game store. You know, <laughs> we got an opening in our group. Send your yep. resume yep. and you know interview.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up there. Yeah. That that, that will we'll stop there. That's a great so stop. It. thanks, Matt. Yeah. So I want to again, Matt. Thank you for sitting in with us. We're we're up a little late tonight on a, on a Wednesday night, but appreciate your your uh, telling us your about your experiences and be a part of the conversation. So anytime you want to come back, let us know.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me
2: cool carl um thanks for hanging out um everybody check out carl's podcast the geomologist sense um and check out my podcast i've been been a little sporadic the last several weeks i've kind of gotten kind of busy i'm gonna try to get back into a regular flow and that is the arcane alienist you can find them both uh on anchor you can find them both most of the major podcatchers pick them up at this point apple spotify all those places and, of course, this is a Cerebivore, also on Anchor and Podcasters and also on YouTube. So check us out there. We've got several several episodes we've already recorded and many more to come, hopefully. So thank you all for listening. And wherever you are, take care. Have a good weekend.
3: Yeah, thanks for hosting us there, BJ. A
1: simple broadcast, Cerebivore podcast, let's see.
0: Stay I This
1: <laughs> I don't look now, this <laughs> a is coming And all that's left,
0: the and the You can pick me, you can hide, I don't think Any order, just another way we go Talk to one and Just a snack, like a
1: one can I i but I'm and, and his just never seen can see in the camera of the moon